What I had been told by some Southern Baptist uh, pastoral leaders, they told me, if you want to understand Christian nationalism, you've got to go to this church. And what one of the pastors told me is he said, if you go to this church on 4th of July weekend, and actually if you go to a lot of churches across the country, you might think that you were at a baseball game eating a hot dog. Well, now we come to this Sunday, and this is an interesting Sunday in the church uh, because it's the Sunday that falls closest to 4th of July weekend. So it's an interesting Sunday because this tends to be a Sunday when a lot of people are, what, not here, right? Um, and it's also an interesting Sunday, particularly for me, um, because a lot of my work has centered on, and my work outside the church in writing and in research, has centered on understanding this phenomenon that's recently been titled Christian nationalism. And so basically the way to understand that is this, this sense that there's become an increasing kind of confluence or an increasing maybe confusion or uncertainty of how does Christianity interact with patriotism or America. And so there's, there's trends that are happening in the church of where there's this idea that in order to be a good Christian, you also have to be a proud American and the, the success of America and the success of Christianity are tied together. So there's a whole lot of historical research behind this, a whole lot of background that's probably not useful for a Sunday morning. Um, but what I want to do this morning is instead of just ignoring that it's 4th of July weekend, we, we don't want to do that. That's one extreme. And then the other extreme is something that I've experienced a few different places. I want to take you back um, to 2011. Or wait, no, sorry, 2012. July of 2012. I was serving at a very large Lutheran congregation in Las Vegas, and we were preparing for 4th of July weekend. And at the time, I was the intern pastor, or two other pastors. We had every single weekend six worship services, each one with a different worship style, including Sunday night's country western gospel with the honky-tonk angels. So this is a church, lots of fun, lots of actors, lots of, you know, performers. Um, so we're preparing for 4th of July weekend. And the other two pastors were out of town. So I was in charge the whole weekend. Um, and I don't know if there's going to be any tricks played on me today. But ordinarily, when, when the pastors are out of town and someone else is in charge, there's people have the opportunity to do things, you know, a little differently, maybe. <laughs> so... I was in charge along with the lead musician. His name's Bruce. Um, so we're coming in. We're getting ready to prepare for Saturday night worship. And we come in and we notice that the entire worship space has been transformed into basically like America the Beautiful. <laughs> and so there's bunting, red, white, and blue bunting all over the sanctuary. The whole, I think they'd done a light scheme where it was red, white, and blue lighting Everything was like very, very patriotic and ready to go. 
And Bruce and I are both like, I don't know, kind of people pleasers. <laughs> we didn't want to make anybody upset. But we came in and we're like, okay, this is maybe a little too much. <laughs> and so we decided we had to take down just a little bit of the red, white, and blue bunting. Um, and of course, this is early on in my career. I haven't done any of the research that I've done now in Christian nationalism. But I just had this sense that we had crossed some kind of line that was going to be problematic for us. Um, so, of course, as I've gotten into understanding Christian nationalism more, I've gone back often to that weekend and thought about, okay, but where is that line? How do we understand what it means to be a proud American and be a strong Christian? Where are the places where those things go together? Where are the places where those things can come into conflict with one another? So I had that moment, and then a bunch of years later, seven years later, 2018, as part of research for a book that I was writing, I went on July 4th weekend, so almost exactly, let's see, how many years ago? Six years ago? Wait, 2018, five years ago. Thank you, thank you. Uh, five years ago, went back, uh, to research Christian nationalism, 4th of July weekend, at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. Has anyone been to Plano? Yeah, okay. So just north of Dallas. This is kind of a famous church. They're known for having a Christmas pageant where angels fly through the sanctuary. For real, yep. <laughs> um, but at Prestonwood, what I had been told by some Southern Baptist uh, pastoral leaders, they told me, if you want to understand Christian nationalism, you've got to go to this church. And what one of the pastors told me is he said, if you go to this church on 4th of July weekend, and actually if you go to a lot of churches across the country, you might think that you were at a baseball game eating a hot dog. And what they said was that we've gotten so good at teaching about the importance of loving America in a lot of our churches, that it's become something called a gospel distortion. And what it's done is it started to crowd out our teaching about Jesus. So that in a lot of American Christians' minds, when they think about Jesus, when we think about Jesus, we start to kind of also imagine him as though he's an American, too. And so again today, what I want to do for you this morning is just to help give you some tools, some positive tools to help understand how we can live in both worlds and how we can avoid this kind of gospel distortion that I think is really actually a responsibility of ours, particularly as Lutherans. Now, I, like maybe many of you, come from German Lutheran ancestry on one side. The other side's Catholic, so we'll deal with them later. Um, German Lutheran ancestry. And what happened in the 1930s and 40s in the German Evangelisch, what we would call Lutheran church, 
was that a form of nationalism started to crowd out the teaching of the gospel. And there became a gospel distortion, again, in a lot of these churches, so much so that a majority of pastors, a large majority of pastors, signed an oath of allegiance to the nationalist Nazi German state. And they became the German Christian church, such that their identity as Germans started to crowd out their identity of Luth- as Lutherans or as Christians and followers of Jesus. So I think it's especially important for those of us who bear this name and this ancestry to make sure that we hold ever so tightly to the independence of the gospel, which I think really is what Martin Luther fought for all those years ago. So I titled our, our sermon this morning, What to an American Christian is the Fourth of July? You might have noticed I was borrowing from the title of a speech made back, I think, in 1851, maybe? I checked that in my, in my writing. Um, from Frederick Douglass, who was formerly an enslaved man who came up to be a political leader, and he gave a famous speech called What to a Slave? is the 4th of July. And his speech, again, helps to put into context what a fight for freedom really looks like. So I encourage you to check out that speech as we seek to understand what it means to follow Jesus on the 4th of July. And again, not to let go of any pride that you have in America or any pride you may have in your military family members. I have many in my family. Um, but to see what we can do with that American pride to seek to follow Jesus first. Now this morning we had two readings from Ezekiel and from the Gospel of Mark that talk about what it was like for prophets and for Jesus. A reading in Mark says, that when Jesus came to speak in his hometown of Nazareth, that people kind of looked at him and thought, wait a minute, aren't you the son of Joseph? Aren't you the carpenter? What, What power or authority do you have to teach and to heal? I think it's interesting that those are lectionary readings for the weekend of 4th of July. Because we see what it really looked like for Jesus to lead, and what it looks like for you to be voices for Christianity and for Jesus in our current state as well. Being a prophet, being one who follows Jesus, doesn't often look like getting to be up on a big stage and receive a lot of adulation and power and following which is, of course, what Christian nationalism teaches. Christian nationalism often goes along hand-in-hand with something called the prosperity gospel. And it teaches that if you follow Jesus, if you follow Christianity, then the end goal is power and affluence and influence. So much so that this power and influence leads entire nations. But for Jesus... Speaking for God instead often meant ridicule, mocking, 
people doubting his power, especially those who knew him best. And of course, what it looked like in the end was arrest, capital punishment, and death at the hands of a nation and a state that worked in concert with religious leaders to crucify Jesus. Our Ezekiel reading says that God sent the prophet Ezekiel to a nation. Now, God never intended for God's people to be a nation. But the people of Israel came to God and said, we want you to give us an earthly king. We want to be a nation. And so there was this sense as we read the Hebrew Bible that the people of Israel were over and over seeking for a national Messiah, someone who would lead their nation to power and to influence. And again and again, as we read in the Hebrew Bible, we see the prophets pushing back against that idea. Even more so, when Jesus comes, Jesus says over and over again, I have come to save the world. I have come to save the world. Now, maybe it's not surprising that with that kind of message and with his embrace of people like the Samaritan woman at the well or a tax collector, Matthew, that those who knew Jesus best found that his message of universal salvation and his message of universal love made them feel a little less than loved. Because sometimes what happens when it's Jesus' love is for everyone, feels like, well, wait a minute, I thought it was especially for me. What movements like Christian nationalism do is attempt to pull that back and to say again that Jesus' love means more if it's exclusive if it's only for some people. But the whole witness of the New Testament goes against that idea. Israel as a nation, blessed specifically by God and God's people, also has, as all nations do, national sins a nation that was created by people who had once been enslaved in Egypt, later becomes a nation that wants to keep others out. America founded on grand ideals of freedom. Also a nation that struggles to understand what it means when that freedom originally was not meant for black people, was not meant for women, we didn't have the right to vote until many years later, was not meant for anyone who didn't own land. So when we start to think about these ideas of, you know, that of course that Jesus would support America, that of course that Jesus would be on our side historically, we run into some problems when we look back at the history of the Gospels. 
Because if you read the Constitution next to the Bible, you'll find some things that seem to align. But then if you look at the story of Jesus, you have to reconcile this fact that under the American Constitution, Jesus, who did not own land, would not have had the right to vote. Jesus would not have been a fully viewed citizen in the founding of the American Constitution. So what do we do as American Christians on the 4th of July? I'm still planning to go to a Pops Orchestra concert tonight at the Lake Harriet Bandshell. I want you to hear very clearly that American Christians, even as we study the ways in which our country has failed to live up to the ideals of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be proud to be an American. What it does mean is we have to be careful sometimes that the two are separate. Because if we start to believe that God and our nation are intertwined, we lose the story of Jesus. We lose the universal love of God. And we lose the ability to point out the ways in which our nation falls short of God's vision. Now, luckily for us, our Lutheran theology gives us one really, really powerful tool to keep things in perspective and to lead American Christians in a better way. That tool is the theology of the cross. The theology of the cross was Martin Luther's answer to the theology of glory, which is the same theology that Christian nationalism uses today. The theology of glory suggested that as you follow Jesus, you amass greater power, wealth, and influence just as the Roman Catholic Church in Europe did at the time of Martin Luther. The theology of the cross, instead, reminds us that to follow Jesus is often a path into weakness, sometimes into despair and pain. Sometimes it's a path into places where we don't want to go. A lot of our churches have seen this in action. As churches swelled and built up in the suburbs in the 1980s and 90s, then we saw people fall away from the church. And it felt like, what's happening? What's going wrong? Why aren't our churches filled like they used to be? Why aren't families and young kids coming like they used to? Why aren't our programs as full as they used to be? Why are our finances always so stressful? Sometimes that's what it looks like to follow the theology of the cross. If we look again to the story of Jesus, we remember that the path toward resurrection necessarily went through death and the cross. I want to close this morning by revisiting a reading from 2 Corinthians from the Apostle Paul. He writes, Therefore, to keep me 
from being too elated. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. In our American culture of celebrity pastors, celebrity Christian culture, compare and contrast these words from Paul. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. What an interesting alternative vision for us for American Christians on the 4th of July. Please pray with me. God, this morning we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the freedom to worship you in this place and in this country. We give you thanks for a long witness and protection of the gospel here in this country. And we ask God that you would help give us tools to remind us that you came not only to save America, or not only to save us, but God, to save the world. We pray that we might see your power made manifest in weakness, and God, that you might give us the humility, the grace, and the strength to listen and to share your word, even when it might mean ridicule or mockery or shame. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here on this 4th of July weekend. Remember next Sunday to bring your questions for Chad and I. Uh, and I pray this week that all of us would be filled with the courage of the gospel to speak for Jesus and to remember how important it is for us to share that gospel witness that Jesus came not only to save us, but to save the world and calls upon us not to be served, but to serve. Now I'll send you with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, look upon you with favor and grant you God's peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.